Good back there. We'll title this message today, Committed and Submitted. And it came from this song right here. I heard this song, I think, the first time two weeks ago, or two services ago. I think they started last Sunday. Was that right? The, last, the first time you played it was last Sunday. And, and it just spoke to me. And the, the songs, and this is how we fight our battles. The whole song, the, the whole song is just those, those couple lines. This is, how we fight, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It reminded me of Elisha the prophet. Anybody go there when you, when you heard this song? Elisha the prophet, he, he had given advice to, the, to avoid the Syrians to the Israelites. The, the, the Syrians were attacking the Israelites at this time when, when back in Elisha's day. So he gave advice to, uh, to tell them to stay away from these areas because this is where the Syrians were going to be at to attack you. So he, t- he told them he, in foresight that he had, God had spoken to Elisha so he knew where to tell them to stay away from. Because it was a prophet, hence, hence prophet, right? So he told him to stay away from that. So the king of Syria thought he had a traitor in his ranks. So he went to his men and said, which one of you are for the king of Israel? Which one of you are on their side? You're telling them where we're going to attack them at so they're not there when, when we get there to attack them. So he was asking them these things and they said, it's, it's not us. It's not us. It's, it's, the, it's the prophet Elisha. He's telling them things that's going on in your, that you're talking about in your bedroom. Right, so by saying that he was ta- telling them this, is what the Bible says, by telling them things that he was talking about in his bedroom were, were private things that Elisha knew about that he wouldn't have known if they weren't from God. Amen. Are you following me? So he was letting them in on these things. So the, the king of Syria sent a great army for one man, for Elisha to capture him. Now it doesn't say he wanted to kill him, but that sounds pretty serious if he's sending the whole army over to pick him up. He had to know these things were, were from God, though. But in Second Kings fifteen through twenty, we're going to read six fifteen through twenty two. And it says, and when the servant of the, of, when the servant of the man of God, so when the servant of Elisha arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. So they had the whole place surrounded. This whole army was out there for one man. That sounds pretty serious to me. With, with, with horses and chariots and his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? What are we going to do about this now? We're out of the, there's, there's horses and, and the, the whole army and, and chariots and everybody's got us run here. So what are we going to do about this? He was trying to figure out what he was going to do on his own ability, right? So in 16, it says this. So he answered. So Elijah, Elisha answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And his servants standing there thinking, wait a minute, Elisha, we're standing here by ourselves. And there's a whole army surrounding us with chariots and horses, and these were armed men, and these weren't battle men we're talking about. Can you pick? This is like if they sent the whole National Guard to get me at my house. It would look pretty serious when you looked out the window, right? Looked out there and you seen the, all these people around with, with machine guns and everything else, and I'm there with nothing compared to what they have. This is what he's seeing, and he's thinking, what am I going to do here? What are we going to do, Elisha? So he goes on and says, don't worry about it. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Open up his eyes so he may see what's in the spiritual. See, Elisha knew what was out there, what was really there, is more powerful than what was seen, right? He knew the unseen reality had greater strength in it, just like it is all the time. The the world was formed by God's words, things that we can't even see the world was formed by. So he said, I pray you to open his eyes that he may... Uh, and then it says, then the Lord opened, opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That word right there, fire, means a supernatural fire. If you look that up in the concordance, right? In, in the Hebrew, that's a supernatural fire. So this was an army of God that was surrounded around them that was greater than the army that had surrounded them. Yeah. Yeah. These guys had no ideas that they were sitting ducks coming out there for that one man 
I'm sure they were very overconfident. They didn't know there was an army of angels that they could. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm, I'm growing hair now. I didn't, I'm sure they had no idea that there was an army of angels that was surrounded around them that could just slay them at any time they decided to. Are you following me? So he goes on to say, so this was a supernatural fire, and this is how I fight my battles. This is part of that song, right? How do we fight our battles? You fight your battles from your knees. When it looks overwhelming, it looks like you can't handle it, get on your knees and pray to God. Because it might look that you're surrounded. It might look like you're surrounded. It looked like Elijah was surrounded when his servant looked out that day, but he was surrounded by God. He was surrounded by God, a much greater power than anything else that could be around him. So when the Syrians came, when the Syrians came, and, and, and Elisha, first off, I need to tell you this. Elisha only could see this beforehand. Elisha already knew what was there. He knew there was greater power in that, power in that because he was committed and submitted to God, right? That's why he prayed to open up his servant's eyes. Elisha was already committed and submitted to God. He already knew what was there. He already had faith in God and knew these things. Are you following me? Am I, am, I, am I saying that clearly? So when the Syrians came down to him, this army of Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. He prayed to him again. That's how he's fighting his battles with prayer, yeah, right? Believing in God, yeah. having confidence and faith in him. Yeah. It helps a lot if you have spiritual eyes to see that there's an army of angels yeah. around you too, right? Yeah. But that's where faith comes in sometimes. Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Think about that. He just prayed to God and instantly, bam, they're blind. The whole army. The whole army. Help us. And there's all these angels still standing there to take Elisha's side. It may look like he's surrounded, but he's surrounded by God. He could have prayed to kill him, I'm sure. But they struck him with blindness. And 19 says this. Now Elisha said to them, the army, right? This is not the way, nor the, nor the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So they were seeking after Elisha, but he... Might have not told the truth right there. He, was, he, he deceived them at the very least, right? So it goes on to say, follow me and I will bring you to the city or to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. Now he led them, this whole army who had the city surrounded to an Israelite city, right? Samaria was a fortified city, had big walls all around it. There was a big army in, in Samaria also. Think about this. Can you, it made me picture this when, when this big army and this one prophet of God is lead them all into this cage. Without a shot fired, without a sword drawn, because this is how he fights his battles. He prayed to God. He prayed to God, and then he led them all down there to this trap, right? And, and, and the next verse says this. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes. He prayed again. Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Now they're standing inside these big city walls, with the army of Israel all around them, in this trap, in this cage. Are you following me? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Can you imagine leading a, a, true, a whole army of men, just one man leading them down the road, of blind men? Were they all hanging on to each other? or How were they even following along? Think about that. It must have been a spectacle in that day for that one man to lead a, a big enough army that it surrounded the whole city. Right? So open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and, and they were inside of Samaria. There's an explanation point after that. They were probably pretty excited when they were able to see. Are you following me? Come on, 21 says, Now then the king of Israel saw them. Saw them. He, the king of Israel, said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? He was excited. He wanted, he wanted to slay him. Right? They've led the whole army in here. Should we kill him right now? They were subject unto them, right? 
And 22 says this. But he answered, Elisha answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those who, who, who you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? See, Elisha took the whole army into captivity single-handedly. Yeah. Well, actually, God did it using Elisha. You get what I'm saying there? Elisha effectively captured the whole army without a shot. God, because of God, God captured the whole army without a shot to, to show that their might depended upon the Lord. Are you following me? All, all Elijah had to do was walk him into the cage. He didn't have to lift a finger. Just like us today. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. We pray. We're in subjection to God. We're dependent upon God. We lean on to him, right? So, so he, he said, don't kill them. No, but he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill the ones that you, that you catch with your own sword, your own bow? But, bow, but set food and water before them. Instead, heap coals of love upon their head. Isn't that what the Bible says to do? That they may eat and drink or go, and, and go to their master. And it goes on to say in, in the scripture here that they went back and by heaping coals of love onto their head, giving them food and water, it says that they had a feast for these men. They had a feast for this army. And the situation was, re, was resolved by that, by heaping coals of love on their head. No one had to die. Didn't work out the way that man would have thought it would work out, right? They didn't capture Elisha. Elisha let him down there single-handedly into a trap, into a cage. And the situation was resolved. The attacks on Israel ceased. There were no more attacks on Israel after that day. This is how they fight their battles, right? By being in subjection to God. Submission. I forgot what I titled it now. Anybody remember? Committed and submitted. Committed and submitted. If Elisha wouldn't have been committed and submitted to God, that wouldn't have worked out just like that. Are you following me? So you may think, well, preacher, that was Elisha. That's not me. Things aren't going to work like that for me. I've got to figure this out on my own. Are you following me? Yes, yes, preacher. We all think that sometimes. Even I think that sometimes. I'm not standing on a box preaching down to you. This fits me just as well as it fits you. So, so that was Elisha, not me. Elisha played, prayed three times in there, and God responded immediately. Immediately, he prayed that the servant have spiritual sight. He prayed that the, that the Syrians would, the Syrian army would be blinded. He prayed the Syrian army would get their sight back, and God responded immediately on each time, each time of that. But in James five sixteen, I'm not going to go there today. You can go back and read it on your own. In James five sixteen, it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. The power of a what? Not the power of any old man, but the power of a righteous man, one who, one who submitted and committed. I'm talking about sold out to God. Your life's been changed, right? When you find there's sin in your life, you turn away from that thing and you repent of it. Are you following me? Submitted and committed. The righteous man is powerful and effective. It was effective in Elisha's day and it's still powerful today. It's still effective today. God didn't honor Elisha because he was Elisha. No. He honored Elisha because he was, because he was committed and submitted. Wouldn't you agree with me on that then? So another example of this is Gideon. Everybody heard of Gideon? Story starts off about Gideon. He was in a wine press, hiding out, right? He was hiding from the, from the Midianite army in the, in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord comes by and calls him a mighty warrior. And he says, wait a minute, angel, I'm not a mighty warrior. If I was a mighty warrior, I wouldn't be hiding in this wine press. We wouldn't be subject to the Midianite army if there was mighty warriors around here. So he was arguing with the angel about whether he was a mighty warrior, not even though the angel of God was calling him a mighty warrior. Does that make sense? That's where the story picks up. Anyway, then, then so the angel of the Lord gets through to him on this and tells him, go, down, go and tear down the altars of Baal. 
Tear down the other gods of this country. Tear them down and make a sacrifice unto the one true living God, the God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tear this altar down and serve, and serve this God. So he was afraid. Again, he was in the well at first, in, 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 the, in the wine press, and he was hiding. Then he was afraid to go in the daytime and do this, tear the altar, a bell down. So he went at night and did it. Right, And then when they found out that he did it, the men came and they were asking, who did this? Who would have, who would have had the gall to come and tear down the altar of Baal? Our God. And, and they said, well, Gideon did it. So they went to Gideon's dad and said, turn him over to us. We're going to kill him. We're going to, turn, we're, we're going to kill Gideon. And, and, and his dad, Gideon's dad, pled with him and said, if your God's real and your God's the one, if, if he's the living God, let him kill Gideon. Let him do it himself. Why are you fending for him if he's God? If he's God Almighty, why do you need to take up for him? Let him kill Gideon. Of course, that never happened. So then Gideon began to fleece God. God was calling Gideon out into a calling. A lot of us do this. We fleece God. Oh, Lord, please don't let this be true about me. Please don't make me have to get up there and preach. God, please, I don't want to do that. Some of you can relate to this, right? might not be preaching, but everybody has a call in their life, so some of you can relate to this. We try to run from God. We try to, to stay away from those things. We're, we're, we're afraid of the unknown, right? So, so he tried to fleece God. He put, he put a piece of, of, of wool out there and said, Lord, if, if you really want me to do this, cause this thing to be wet and the ground to be dry. And he came out the next day and he rang out the, the wool and the ground was, bo- was bone dry. And he went back again and said, Lord, I know you did that. And I know you sent an angel to talk to me in the wine press. I know you did all these other things. But if you really want me to do this, now if you're serious about this, go ahead and cause this thing to be dry and the ground to be wet. So he woke up the next day and the wool is just it's, it's dry as can be. And the ground is saturated with dew. So he knew that it was. So, so God went ahead and, and, and he decided he was going to call, he was going to follow into this calling. So God placed Gideon as the leader over the Israelite people for in a military aspect. So there was 32,000 men underneath Gideon at this time. 32,000, and, and these three times, even him being afraid and not wanting to step out and, and, and argue with the angel, all those things, he had 32,000 men under his command. And they were going into battle with an army. The, the, the Midianite army was greater than they were, right? So God said, you're going to this battle, but there's too many of you. What? We're already outmanned and outgunned, but you want me to get rid of some people? Yeah, I'll tell anybody who's afraid to go on and go back home. God told Gideon this. So Gideon went and said, any of you who are afraid or worried about this battle, go on and go back to the house. Go back and be with your family, see your wives, your kids. Part ways with this right here. So 22,000 of them left on that day. out of thirty. So they got 10,000 now. Now they're down to almost a third of what they started with. You can imagine with the heart that, that he had fear before. I can imagine he's still fearful of this, right? Lord, how's this going to work out? I know you showed me with the fleet, but how's this going to work out? So he, the Lord said, you still have too many. So take them down to the water and, and see who gets down on their knees and, and, and drinks water that way and see who gets water in the hand and laps like a dog. And he said, you take the ones who lap water like a dog, you take those and you're going to go to the battle with those. 300 men left. When it was all said and done, he had 300 men left there with him to go into battle, 300 warriors to go into battle with him. And, and uh, God said, if you're afraid... He said, go down here and spy on the camp of the, of the Midianites. But if you're afraid, take your servant with you. You know what he did? Took his servant with him. Like two men are going to stand up to him anyway. But he took his servant down there with him. And they overheard two soldiers from the other side say, one of them said, I, I got to tell you about this dream. I'm paraphrasing here. You can go back and read it yourself if you'd like. You probably should. He said, uh, 
I'm, I'm terrified. I need to tell you about this dream. Um, I had a dream that a loaf of barley came and hit one of the tents here and knocked all the tents over. And this was symbolizing this, this barley bread would have half the value of all the other breads they had at the time. Does that make sense? So it had half the value. So he was, he was, in essence, it was saying that God made the underdog seem invincible at that time. Israel was the underdog in this fight. They were already outmatched when they had 30, when they had all their soldiers there, 32,000 people, they were already outmatched. They were the underdogs, but God made them seem invincible to these people. So they were already afraid. They already knew, they already knew that they were going to be defeated. The enemy knew before Gideon did that they were going to be defeated. Does that look like us today? The enemy already knows that we have authority over him. The enemy already knows that we have power over him. The enemy already knows that he, has to listen, he trembles in the name of Jesus Christ. Right? But if we'd get that down inside of us, we would own him today. Just like I preached last week. Take no thought saying, Jesus said. Don't take these thoughts and care about them and worry about them and then let them come out of your mouth because that's how your authority works. And the devil would love to control your authority. If he can get you to speak negative things about the situation, if he, get, if he could have got Gideon to talking about, I only have 300 men. There's thousands of them, tens of thousands of them. What can 300 men do against that? But instead, he was submitted and committed to the plan and will of God. We have to be submitted and committed. And if we're committed to the, to the will of God, we're going to be obedient. We're going to step out when he tells us to step out. When he tells us to quit doing something, we're going to quit doing that thing. When he tells us to do something, we're going to do it. If we're committed and submitted, are you following me if you're on fire for God? So, so they knew they were going to be destroyed. So Gideon and his 300 warriors went out there. I can picture this now. If they were already outnumbered when they had 32,000 people. Now, Liberty has 30,000 people that lives in it. Think about this. This was tight like the size of a town of Liberty. Every person, man, woman, boy, and girl, Liberty is the size of the army that he had. Just the men. But they all left but 300 of them. And they were already outmatched like that. So it was there 40, 50,000 people in there. So think about that many people. The Royal Stadium holds 30,000 people. I mean, it holds 30,000 people. So if the Royal Stadium was completely filled and you had 300 people just around the outside of this 30 or 40,000, how many people it was, it doesn't say how many it was, but there was more than what he had. It was more than 32,000. So you have 300 people around it. This would look insurmountable. Insurmountable. It would seem crazy to try to do this, right? To go in there and attack them. And let alone just that right there, but he, he had them come in there with, with a pitcher, Right? What they took with them was a glass pitcher, a trumpet that would have been made out of a sheep's horn, and a torch. And we're going to go fight this army that's already a bigger army than what we got. Sounds insane. It sounds a little bit insane. But it worked because that's what God's plan was. Gideon and his warriors sat there. That when they surrounded this army, they were committed and submitted, so they were obedient. They, they stepped out in, in what God's plan was and did what God had them do instead of going there and trying to fight them in the natural Right? Instead of trying to think up some trick or some trap and how they could draw them into it, they fought them just the way that God said. This is how I fight my battles. Because they were submitted and committed. They stood around this outside of this thing, and when they blew those trumpets and broke those pitchers, they were standing there with a torch in their hand. And they watched those, those men in the other army turn on themselves, turn their swords on themselves, and they killed each other. They killed each other. Can you imagine how scary that looked standing there? When there was just a few of you and tens of thousands of, the, tens of, thousands of them, it's overwhelming, <clears throat> overwhelming odds they were facing. A lot of times today it looks like we're facing overwhelming, overwhelming odds, overwhelming odds in our lives all the time, all the time. But if we'll fight our battles with prayer, with submission to God, being submitted, 
being sold out to God, being committed to his plan, being obedient to God. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, Lord, but I know that I'm surrounded by you. I know that you have angels all around me to take care of me all the time. I know God must have had angels around me when I lived in the world because I acted like a fool. Are you following me? But he does. He does. It's important that God receives the glory for all these things, too. That's the reason he sent 32,000 of them home. He wanted the glory for it. It's not just that he's just a greedy or selfish God. God needs the glory because we sh- he should have the glory so that we could praise him for this thing, right? But also it grows our faith that we can lean on him. Do you think Gideon's faith grew on that day? When they showed up with a glass pitcher and a ram's horn and a little torch to fight tens of thousands of men? Think about that. How, how do you think that affected their faith? When God said do something after that, I'm sure it was easy to step, easier to step out on it. It never becomes easy, but it was easier to believe on God for that. So it affected their faith. It also affected the people's faith around them. Remember the part about the soldiers who they overheard talking? They already knew they were going to be defeated before Gideon knew they were going to get defeated. Make sense? They knew it because God's power had been displayed before. God's glory had been on display before. People feared the Israelites throughout history in the Bible. They feared them. Because they knew what God was capable of doing. They knew what their God was capable of doing. And they feared him. That's the reason, another reason God needs to have the glory for the things he does in our life. It affects those people. That, that army knew they were going to be defeated before that. Because God's glory had shown before. Another example of this is Hezekiah. Anybody read about Hezekiah? I should have put the scriptures in here, but I forgot to do it. This is out of Judges. I know this is out of Isaiah, actually. The, the last one about Gideon was out of Judges. I think chapter 6. Um, however, go back and read those. Or ask me before about the church if you want to go back and read them. I meant to write them down in here, but I forgot. Another example of this, though, is Hezekiah. In Hezekiah's day, the, Assyrian, the Assyrians were superpowers of the day, kind of like the United States is of the day, right? And they were just a smaller country. So they had this superpower of a country sent the letter to the king. Uh, the, the king of Assyria sent a letter to the king of Israel, right? Hezekiah was the king of Israel, and he said, don't let this God that you trust in, don't let him deceive you. Look around at all these other nations that, we, that we've overtaken. We destroyed them. We've, we've thrown them out. We've killed them. We've made them into, their, into our slaves, right? We, we've murdered them in the streets. We've killed their women and children and, and all the things that they did in that day. They did all these things to them. And, and his letter said that don't let God deceive you because your God's no better than their gods were. Them and their gods are other nations. And Hezekiah knew that he was outgunned. He, not gun, they didn't have guns in the day, but he knew, he knew that he was outmatched. He knew that he, there, there was no way besides God. And folks, that's where we're at sometimes with this. Sometimes it's, we, we, we don't want to rely on God. We want to rely on our own ability until it comes down to there's no way that we can do it. Some of us have to come to that point where we have to rely on God. Someone's sick or in the hospital, whatever the case may be, it comes down to the point where we have to rely on God. Folks, don't let it get to that point today. We need to be committed and submitted Right now, preparing, believing God for small things so that when it comes to a big thing, we can believe in him for that, right? So Hezekiah was committed and submitted. So you know what he did when he got this letter? He knew it instead of being being like Elisha's servant and saying, oh, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? And freaking out and running. You know what he did? He went and prayed. This is how I fight my battles, from your knees. You fight your battles from your knees. You get most done from your knees, praying, praying to God. So he went and he prayed. And, he, and, and we're going to pick up here in Elisha, or I mean Isaiah 37, 33 through 36. It says, Therefore, thus the Lord concerning the king, 
of Israel. This is God talking. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound around against it. <clears throat> by the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. <clears throat> for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now think about it. They would have tried to defend the city on themselves. There would have been great, ca- even if they could have been successful, there would have been great casualties. But God says they won't even fire an arrow here. They won't even raise their, their shields up against the city because I'm going to take care of this thing because you came and prayed to me, Hezekiah, because this is the way you're fighting your battle in prayer to me. So he's going to defend this city. Then the angel, notice that's a singular form there. It doesn't say angels. It doesn't say plural. It says, then the angel of the Lord went, the same ones that was this, on these fiery chariots, right? On these flaming chariots, supernatural went out and killed in the camp of the Syrians 185,000. 185,000. Can you wrap your head around that number? I, I was looking for cities this morning that had that many in the population so that I could try to even wrap my head around it. Any of y'all ever been to Blue Springs? There's 145,000 people that live in Blue Springs. There's 30,000 that live in Liberty and there's roughly 10,000 in Excelsior Springs. So if you were to kill everyone in Blue Springs, Liberty, and Excelsior Springs all at one time, that would equal what this angel did in one night. Think about the impact of that, the footprint of that right there. 185,000 people in one night. 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all the dead. Now, let's think about this a little bit. And when the people arose, didn't even wake the rest of them up. They slept through it. Went in and killed a hundred. This angel's a bad boy. (laughs) Think about that. He went in and killed 185,000 warriors, battle-hardened men in one night and didn't even wake the rest of the people up. They slept through it. That king got up. This is how they fight their battles. This This is how Hezekiah fought his battles. He went and prayed, got on his knees and prayed to God, and God took care of it without any bloodshed on the Israelite side. God still wants to take care of us today, church. But we have to be committed and submitted to him, obedient to him, sold out to him. Or we can try to figure out how to do it on our own. How's that working for you? It's not. It's not working for us at all. 185,000 of them by one angel. What do you think that whole army of angels that was encompassed around Elisha, what do you think they were capable of? Think about that. Israel delivered Egypt. I mean, you, you can relate this. There's, there's Bibles all throughout the story. Or, I mean, stories all throughout the Bible that, that, that are parallel with the same message. God's trying to say something to us, wouldn't you say? You could, you could look at the children of Israel when he delivered them out of Egypt, right? When they were disobedient, what happened? They were captive. They were oppressed. They were beat down. They were in slavery, right? When they were obedient, when they were submitted and committed, what happened? Delivered. God took them out of Egypt without any Israelite blood being shed. Did it for them. Didn't have to fight. There weren't any warriors among them. Took them out from amongst the superpower of the world because they were committed and submitted. God brought them out. He did it. He did it. That's how they fought that battle. How are we fighting our battles today, church? Has God changed? God hasn't changed one lick, babe. God hasn't changed at all. He wants to deliver us. He wants to be our refuge. But we have to make a choice. 
First, we must decide to be committed, sold out to God. Or committed and sold out to God, I mean to say, or submitted and obedient. It's us. It's on us. It's on us. If that's you today and you haven't been sold out to God, if you haven't been committed to God, obedient completely to God, committed to God, please come to the altar today and get it right. There's no shame in it. There's no shame if you slip. There's no shame if you've fallen down. The shame is if you lay there and you wallow in the muck. The shame is if you don't get back up and do something about it. Come today and make it right. Come today and make it right. I know there's, I know there's some here. Can I get every head bowed at this time? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you don't know him as your Savior at all. If someone were to ask you today, if you died today, you might think, I'm not going to die today. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty young, so let's just get on past that. I'll, I'll, I'll give you another scenario. What if Jesus stepped out on that cloud today? The Bible says that it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. Jesus is going to step out on the eastern sky, and bam, it's over. In the twinkling of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. If you're here today and you don't know that you're ready to go, then you're not. If you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're ready to go to heaven and make heaven your home, then you're not ready. Right? Everybody's going to stand before God one day. The Bible says there's going to be a great white throne judgment. It says death, hell, and the sea are going to give up their dead. That means everybody who's ever existed on this planet is going to be there and stand in front of God. It says the goats are going to be on the left side and the sheep are on the right, right? So we're going to know when we're standing there in line waiting to be judged by God. There's going to be two books that he opens up. The first book is the, book of, uh, uh, or the Lamb's Book of Life. If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're good to go. You're going to heaven. If your name's not, then you're on your way to the lake of fire, the Bible says. It burns with brimstone and fire. The other book, the other book is uh, the book of remembrance. Everything that you've ever done could have been 20, 30 years ago. You're going to remember it on that day like it was last night. That's what you're going to be judged by. That's what you're going to stand in front of God for. People might laugh and cut up and think it's funny and hell's going to be a party. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that lake of fire burns with brimstone and fire. Brimstone translates to sulfur. Sulfur burns about 5,800 degrees, about the same as a cutting torch. Doesn't sound like any party I want to go to. It's not going to be any fun at all. That's the second death, the separation of God forever. Church, you have a choice to make. Today is your day. Today is your day. Would you repent today and make it right with God? Or would you wait till you're standing in front of him, waiting to see what he thinks about it? Could I see your hand if anybody's willing to make that commitment? Thank you for the hand. Thank you for the hand. Thank you for the hand. Thank you. All over the house, thank you for the hands. Can we go ahead and pray together today? I won't call you out. I don't want to embarrass you. But I do want you to take this seriously, if you would. Take it serious, because it's serious business. It's more serious than the things that happen here on earth. I'm talking about your eternity. We only live in this earth for a few years. Eternity, once you, once you check out of this body or Jesus steps on that cloud, it's forever. It's forever, and there's no, there's no turning back. The choices you make here on this day, this could be your last opportunity. The choices you make here on this day could be it for you. I'm not saying it will be, but it could be. I mean, Jesus could come out, come back at any time. You could check out at any time. Everybody's going to die. Take it serious, though. If you don't have a Bible, if you have a Bible, get in and read it. If you don't have a Bible, see me after church. I'll get you a Bible, an easy one to read. Get in church and be involved in it. If we could, let's pray together. Father, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I know that your son Jesus died on a cross. For me, I know that you rose him from the dead. I know that he's coming back for me. 
Please live in my heart. Lead me and guide me the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Go ahead and play, pray and release the service. There's so, still some people at the altar, so if you could make your way out quietly and don't disturb them. Um, we could also close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We love you, Daddy, and we praise you, Father. Lord, I pray that you would cause your words to fall on good, rich, deep soil in our hearts today, Father God. Cause it to take root, Father God, and spring up, Lord. Spring up, Father God, and, and, and cause fruit to come from our life, Daddy. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for your infallible word. We thank you, thank you for the visitors here today, Father God. And we just praise your name, Dad. Lord, I pray that you would protect us spiritually this week, Lord, and protect us physically this week, Lord. Keep us from sin, Father God, and, and just draw us close to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray these things, Daddy. Amen.